Welcome to Creative Welly episode 28. My name is DK, you're very welcome here. Check us out on creativewelly.com. There you will find the video podcast, which we got to thank John O'Tucker over at Empire Films for. He's our video producer, great guy, go and check him out. And also big shout out David Hamilton to allow us to use Flashdog Studio as our space where we shoot. This is the audio version of the video podcast. In episode 28, we speak to Janine Sudbury, experiential leadership development trainer and executive leadership coach, plus Mark G, photographer, filmmaker, and video effects supervisor. Please enjoy this audio version of the video podcast of Creative Wally, episode 28. And the question to kick us off, just to get us kind of into it, is what is it that you most dislike? Wow. <laughs> what is it that you most dislike? That's a hard question. Dislike. Thank you, dude. Go on. Who would like to answer? Dislike. Dishonesty. I'm going there. Just so simple, right? Just be honest. Just be true. Chee robbers. Sorry? Chee robbers. As in chi. Yeah. Have you not heard of the term oh, chi robbers? right. When but you're hanging out with someone... Your, yeah. And they, are, they talk so much that you feel t- totally drained by the mm. end of the experience. Mm. <laughs> Probably how you two will feel at the end of this. I'm sure. <laughs> a chi robber, that's Chi as in energy. Yeah. And that's our little nickname for it, a chi robber. Mm. That's good. Because you feel quite exhausted after spending time with them. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, I guess unorganised people. People you can't rely on. Mm. Can I interject? It's disorganised. And I say that because I really enjoy grammar and I used to be a BBC presenter and journalist. <laughs> and also I, I really enjoy correcting people on grammar. That's terrible. So feel grammar free, to, feel free to correct me, as I'm sure I will make mistakes. Well, there's no way we will correct you because we'll be on it. <laughs> Good wow. OK, yeah, yeah. disorganised people. Yes. Mm. Yeah. But that's your profession, right? Because I could imagine the stuff that you do you have to have a brain, not just the, the grown-up stuff that you do get paid for, mm-hmm. but the astrophotography stuff that you do that, you know, obviously is amazing. But you have to have a brain that got to compute so many elements. Or mm-hmm. am I projecting there? No, no, you do. And, and I think that's... At once, once upon a time, I was totally disorganised myself. Ah. Yeah. So, like, in the 20s when things were a lot freer and looser. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was a lot more unreliable, you would say. Mm-hmm. But since then, I've come into a structure, um, become very organised and expect the same from other people around me. You know, you, you give, give a little bit of leeway to people. Yeah. I sort of understand where I've been and where they are, but mm. at a certain point, it really bugs me. You know, Did it when, bug you back then? When you were disorganised, did you think, <laughs> That's the thing. I really need to lift my game here? I Actually, I think, yeah, I think subconsciously, probably. Yes, mm. yes. And do you have a system, like a, what's that, getting things done, GT No, it just, system? It, it, just, it just annoys me when things are not done right. and out of order. So that's, yeah. I'm wondering... Is this why you're fascinated by the night sky? Because we have ordered the night sky and you have a penchant for orderliness. Perhaps. I've never Maybe. thought of it that way, but perhaps. 
or the fact that if I wasn't that way, I just would not get anything done. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's so many things I have to yeah. juggle in yeah. life, and and you know you, you have to be onto it. Yeah. How did you get into the astrophotography? Was that early on, or was that just something in the last few years? Uh, it was probably let's say 15 years, last wow. 15 years okay. or so. Um, um, Australian, so I came to Australia to work on a, a little film called Lord of the Rings. Uh, and when I was in Australia, I you know, took photos as well, as, okay. as well as doing the film work and graphic design and whatever else I did. Um, but I was on the Gold Coast where I lived, so it was all beach and surf lifestyle. Uh, came to Wellington and on the first day I went down to Lowell Bay and there's some great waves and I thought oh, this is going to be awesome it's going to suit me fine I came back the next day to take photos there's no waves and I was like that for about six months <laughs> so there's no beach and surf lifestyle here um, so I guess it ended up being oh okay there's some nice landscape around here so I started exploring further afield and it wasn't until I got to Castle Point one night I took the rubbish out I was staying at a, a batch and looked up the night sky and almost fell over. And I thought, I need to take a photo of this right now. So I went and got my camera, took a photo, and it basically came out black. We have a couple of pricks of stars, but I could see more of my naked eye. So that obsession started from there. It's fascinating. Mm. Because it is. No, I just... Why is it an obsession? Does it make you feel something that you don't feel in yeah, any other situation. Yeah, I think, it, I think it does. It's like, you know, being, being under... The, at that particular moment, I sort of hung outside for hours, just looking up, and, and for the first time ever, I saw shooting stars, you know. I just, just, and I oh. sort of couldn't believe my eyes. I thought, I've heard about shooting stars, but is this actually real, what I'm seeing? Um, so, yeah, that's where the obsession is. I just wanted to know how to take photos, so I went and researched on the internet I saw these amazing photos and I thought well, how did they make it look like that and it was just this progression of learning over from different people on the internet and just trying yourself do you think the interest is the night sky or the capturing of the night sky uh it's yeah and that and that's the funny thing because a lot of people say well you're an astrophotographer you must know a lot about the night sky I know more than what I did when I started but I don't know a lot about the night sky um I think it's the interest of capturing the night sky and the beauty of capturing it with landscape. That's, that's why I enjoy it. The deep sky, like where you see the nebulas and things like that, um, I don't photograph because um, you need a lot more patience than what I have for that. Mm. Um, but it doesn't interest me as, as much because generally they're the same image. You can't compose them differently. Whereas if you have a, a landscape in the night sky, you can compose that differently. So do you think the landscape grounds the night sky? Uh, yeah, is it, it bringing does. the human aspect it does, yeah. into yep. mm. Yeah, definitely. Has it changed your view on anything, your philosophies or your approach to life? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. You know, it's, it's made me a lot more chilled and, right. you know, less stressed in a way, uh, which, is, which is good in, in the line of work that I am do in the film industry, I guess. Mm. Um, and it just makes you appreciate things, you know. You feel quite small when you're out there yeah. at a location, a dark sky location with no one around. And you buy yourself especially. That's like so much goes on in your head at that time looking up, yeah. And there's a growing movement online, isn't there, about the whole dark sky initiative. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. New Zealand is, is a great place to be mm. if you're yeah. interested. In like, it's, it's crazy. Like, when I, when I first started, I was, you know, 2008, 2009 or something like that. Um, I used to go out to Red Rocks here in Wellington and, and drive out, and I would be the only person out there. And 
you go out now and there's all these little red head torches pop up everywhere and there are all people <laughs> taking photos of the night sky. Oh, um, it's, it's just become so popular and um, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and so many more people have gotten into it. I'm not saying it's because of me, mm. but it's because of people have seen it online saying, oh, that's amazing. And it's, it made people actually go out and look yeah. up and say, well, this is pretty cool. So. I suppose part of that is the technology, right? Technology, definitely. Like, um, accessible. Yeah, DLSRs have become you know, more accessible. You can buy them off the shelf and the mirrorless these days as well. Um, and, you know, even with iPhones and, mm. you know, Android phones, now you can take a really good photo of the night sky. What so. have you seen that's, that's memorable, unusual, <laughs> Perhaps even UFO-ish. Well, that's, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> is, that, is that the million-dollar question? That's the million-dollar question that. that everyone else What's the answer? Uh, the, the answer is I've never seen something unusual as, as such. Um, I've seen some really good shooting stars, like, you know, exploding and then your second lady hearing the, hearing the bang. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I never knew you could hear shooting stars. Yeah, because they hit the Earth's atmosphere and they break up and explode. Yeah, it's it's like, and sometimes it's just dust. Like you, you got to think it's like dust hitting the Earth's atmosphere. Some some pieces of you know bigger chunks. So what's the difference between a comet, a shooting star, and a meteor? <laughs> well, a, 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 a meteor. There's a meteorite, and there's a meteor, and there's mm. a comet. Um, a meteor is one. I, get this wrong and I probably need hurry to help me with this <laughs> one. Um, but if we get, one of them actually enters the Earth's an atmosphere and burns up and one doesn't. Mm. That's the difference between a meteor and a meteorite. Gotcha. Um, yeah. A comet is basically a big chunk of ice or rock just orbiting around the solar system. It doesn't enter. It doesn't actually right. go yeah, anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the difference. So the people that you see with the little red torches mm-hmm. out in your what used to be your patch. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they have the full kit? Because I know some of the kit and the more recent stuff that you've done where you've gone into rock pools and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm trying to stay a step ahead of people. Right. Oh. What's, the, what's the word for that? There's a rail, right? That you yeah, it's time on. time lapse motion control. Yeah, yeah. I knew there would be motion, a motion, motion control. control. Yes, so the camera takes a photo, stops and then moves, takes a photo, stops, moves. And it does that over say a three hour period and you end up with about 15 seconds of footage right mm. do you consider these these people who are in red rocks now interlopers <laughs> I do <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of them that way I just think it's cool um, yeah. and you know and the reason and the reason you see red like there's guys out there with you know big spotlights and things and they're probably hunting possums or something like that <laughs> but it's the people with the red lights because red lights doesn't destroy your night vision so right. you see them sort of popping up everywhere that's what i thought yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they're the ones who are conscious of other people that's right and they're the ones swearing at the possum hunters with the big torches that's fascinating what's the best place to take photos in new zealand I have a couple of favorites uh the wire wrapper is definitely one i love cape palliser um it's just so remote um, it's it's got some features, but it's not, you know, it's it's quite barren and and flat in a way. Um, but it has the lighthouse. I really like the lighthouse there. Um, Mount Cook um, is um, Araki Mount Cook is my favourite. It's just incredible. It's an incredible place because there. there's no one there. There's no light. No, uh, no light, light pollution. pollution. It's a yeah. It's a dark sky reserve, and it's gold rated, so it's an international dark sky reserve. And so it's one of the best in the world. Have you got a bucket list of places you'd like to go to take photographs of the night sky? 
Well, New Zealand covers most of it. Really? Yeah, really. Um, mm. I have the Northern Lights. Well, yes, like exactly. That. So I have been to Norway to shoot the Northern Lights. What um, was back it in like? Spectacular. It was spectacular. Um, I went to run a workshop there. Um, I was asked to run a workshop there, and it's like and, uh, taking photos the night sky workshop. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I must come on one. Yeah, <laughs> sounds amazing. Yes, um, and it was, and this is funny because I'd never taken a photo of aurora, and taking photos of aurora and the night sky is subtly different. But I was meant to be the expert, so so it's <laughs> <laughs> good because the the bunch of people I had, no one had seen an aurora. So we sort of rocked up in Norway, perfect, yeah. um, in Lofoten, <laughs> and and. You know, we, we turned up at the hotel and the guy who was taking us out on the tour said, oh, you know, there was this Japanese film crew here uh, and they were shooting a documentary on auroras and they were here for a month, but we didn't see an aurora. So I was like, oh, wow. No. So, you know, I don't want to give you guys hopes up. And anyway, we jumped in the bus and went along. And as we're driving along, you kind of see things out the corner of your eye and I think, oh, is that something? No, no, something. And all of a sudden we went around this this bend on the road and then all of a sudden this aurora just flared up right in front of us. Mm, does it flare? Yeah, it just shot up like that. But what is it? It's um, it's like the solar flares get released from the sun uh-huh. and they hit the Earth's atmosphere and it reacts. Yeah. Wow. But yes. we have it here as well. We have the, it here. Yeah. I saw some Southern photos. Yeah, Lola, I've seen some. Lola. But I imagine they're more common in Iceland and Yes, Norway. yeah, because they're further, they're, the land mass is further north. Uh-huh. We're not as far south here. Mm. So we we do get to see it, um, very rarely visible to the naked eye, certainly not like what I experienced in Norway, like you see the colours and everything. I have seen aurora here at Red Rocks during one of my workshops, funnily enough, um, and it was shooting up and down, but it was like grey rather than colourful. But to the camera, it would catch capture like greens and, and pinks and that kind of colour. Um, further you go down south, you know, like, Dunedin and Southland, you do see it naked eye more more times, but still again, not it's really not colourful. Not really colourful, mm. and it's not until you go way down south. Um, like I took a flight for with Aurora Hunters, we flew down to the Antarctic Circle to chase auroras from the are plane. You, are you a bit like those people who chase tornadoes? Are you the, <laughs> the soft aspect of the, the tornado soft aspect, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but you it's, don't get out, do you? You chase it just and you stay in the plane? Oh, you stay in the plane, yeah, you don't, right. don't oh, go. Oh, you're yeah. in the plane when you're chasing you're it. Oh, chasing I imagined it. you in a car. Oh, no. I see some pink over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's not, no, it's nothing like oh, that. So you chase it in a plane. You can do that in Norway and Iceland. You can chase it in the car, but, yeah. but this was chasing in the plane. So we flew south to, to the Antarctic Circle and just went back and forth chasing the aurora in the plane which was is it pretty amazing cool. yeah it yeah. was amazing yeah and i shot time lapse outside the um the plane window it was crazy wow. it was oh, a really crazy it was the yeah. most it was the most insane flight i've ever been on do you um, organize those sorts of flights i didn't i didn't were you invited on it i was invited on it mm. yes 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 um yeah so it's it, it was a chartered air new zealand flight and it had even had like the seven kilo carry-on luggage limits, <laughs> but everything must have been blacked out, right? In the no, inside. that's oh. that's that's the thing. So it was a normal chartered flight, and everyone else's idea is like I'm carrying as much camera gear as I can onto this flight, so yeah. well over the seven k limit, um, and then I'm going to black out the windows so I can take photos. Yeah. Um, when we got on the flight, we started going, and then the first aurora started. Yeah, was visible. People got excited, so they setting up the cameras and. And start getting a duct tape and taping up the blankets 
from from the seat and, and putting it out on the window. And, and the crew came in and said, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't put duct tape on the window. And then they, they sort of looked at the footage that one guy was capturing and they've just gone, okay, <laughs> just do what you want. <laughs> yeah. So did it, could you not get the footage without the blackout? No, because you get the reflections of the interior yeah. of the plane. Even though they dim the lights, really? you still get reflections. Yeah. Um, I set up this time-lapse footage in the plane, like a motion control thing, of people just going crazy photographing it, and it's, it's so so funny to see. Yeah. yeah. How does it link in with your work for Weta? Um, it doesn't really link in directly. It, it links in, in in a way that, you know, the photographic principles and, and composition, um, you know, and, and, and storytelling aspect even, um, it's, which is all very important in film. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing directly, but you have a lot of creative people in Weta who do things other than just create the film. Mm. Yeah, that's like, there's a lot of photographers there. You know, there's a lot of artists there. Um, you know, there's a lot of activities outside of Weta around the Miramar Peninsula that you'll see Weta people involved with. Yeah. I suppose like timing and like you say, storytelling, but also mm-hmm. the visual aspects and mm-hmm. colour and mm-hmm. composition. Exactly. Would be massively complementary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to have a hobby that also serves that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the screen. Mm-hmm. No, it's to do with the night mm-hmm. sky. And it's, it's interesting, like, um, you know, when I first started out, I, you know, I, I always thought about composition because I've learnt being in the arts. But you, being at wedding, you start to learn more about it and you learn more about the storytelling aspect and how important it is. So my... Photography sort of evolved and started to get quite you know, cinematic in style. Mm. So, what yeah. story do you think you're telling? Um, it, it depends on, on the situation. Uh, like, you know, lately, um, as DK had mentioned, I've started getting to, you know, shooting half underwater, over water, and, and the night sky at, all in one frame. Um, so I'm trying to capture, you know, you know, there's there's basically three worlds here. You know, there's That's the underwater. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask you about that because yeah. it's all there is a similarity, isn't it? Isn't mm-hmm. there? And mm-hmm. also, with regards to your philosophical abro- approach to how small it makes you feel, mm-hmm. it must be the same looking down into the water. Well, exactly, because I'm trying to catch, you know, the minute detail mm-hmm. in in the water. And, and then you get the, the bigger scale of the landscape and then you've got the massive scale of the, the night sky above. Mm. Yeah. We yeah. are just little ants, aren't we, scurrying around. Mm, we certainly are, yeah. And sometimes we need to just stop. <laughs> we do. And consider our so, size, yep. yeah. Well, that's one of the things that they say that we've lost, our touch, um, our place within the cosmos, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've become city dwellers. Half of the world's population now in the cities and we've lost... The idea that we look up because mm. we don't anymore. Because all we see is we don't see the night sky as yeah. it is. Yeah, exactly. But as it would be back in the day when we would look up and we would see what you see when you're out there. Yeah, and that, and that's a that's a good point. Like I, I shot a video of the moonrise over Wellington years ago now. Um, posted it online, didn't think much about it, and it just absolutely went bonkers, went viral, um, and got picked up by everywhere all over the world and. Millions and millions of views, and I just couldn't understand it for a long time. I started getting emails from people telling me that you know it made them feel this way when they watched it, made it feel that way when they watched it, and I, I just just couldn't understand why you're telling me these things and why do you feel that way? And I think it stems back to that was you know back in the day in the prehistoric day, or it, you know before there was all this hustle and bustle that we have in the current time, um, people would watch the moonrise, you know they would watch the night sky. Mm. Um, 
you know, and, and it's built into our genetics and you don't realize it until you do. Um, people would look at the moon rise and they go, hey, the moon doesn't rise that fast. Yeah. And then they go out and they would go out and watch it because of this video. And they said, actually, you're right, the moon doesn't. It's amazing. We should do this more often. So, you know, doing things like that and, and you know, in influencing others to sort of think about the whole thing is, is quite a special thing. Mm. And <clears throat> that really reminds me of this film I saw. You've probably seen The Octopus Teacher, My Octopus oh, Teacher. Oh, I love that, yeah. The most beautiful, incredible mm. film. But something that really struck me was at the end when he said... It made me feel I belonged to this world. Mm, mm. And I think sometimes we feel quite alienated from this world, from the natural world, mm. from watching the moon, from being a part of things. Yeah. And I think that's perhaps what your photography does for people like me. Mm. It makes us, it grounds us and roots us and make, makes us feel we are part of this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But that connection to nature is kind of half what you do as well. Thanks. Good, good line yeah, into, into me. Way, I was hoping we could just talk about you, actually. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about horses. <laughs> 90 minutes. Thank you, DK. Very subtly approached. No, um, but it is a connection, right? It is a connection. It's the idea of there's, there's grander things. There are different, thing, different stories to be told and different mm. stories to be part of, whether it be the night sky and, yeah, we used to look at the, the moon and mm. there'd be significance in what type of moon was rising in what type of year, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and in terms of your work with horses, mm. tell us a little bit about that. Oh, thank you so much. Um, well, I don't even know where to begin because I was sort of rehearsing how mm. I would answer your questions. And I thought, God, there's, you know, I could just talk for hours. Well, I when did you start? Maybe well, that's a good place to start. I think I started when I was a, a little girl living in North London and loved ponies like so many other little girls. And was fortunate enough to get a pony and um, <laughs> spent many hours on my own. Oh, you wouldn't do that these days. <laughs> riding bareback on the roads. My pony would wow. bolt. I'd have all sorts of, you know, um, narrow escapes. Wow. Okay. I did lots of galloping on, along farmer's fields. So I think that's where it started. And, and then I sort of rode horses throughout my life. I went to a, some ranches in America and rode horses there and thought, gosh, these cowboys ride so well. It was quite unlike the English style of riding. They didn't mm. seem to move. It was amazing. And then over here, we met a, a horse trainer and we developed a program um, where we could teach leadership, where we could help people develop their leadership skills using horses because horses... Um, so many reasons why they're great teachers. They're herd animals. They're always looking for a leader but they'll only follow somebody who's sending out all the right body messages and has the right body language. Right. Um, so you can't really fake it. No, you have to You have to lead. be an authentic yeah. leader. And um, they're also unpredictable. So when I match a person with a horse, I actually don't know what's going to happen. Every program is different with a different dynamic. Mm. And um, they're very sensitive animals and they can mirror what you're putting out mm. so you can get some fantastic feedback they're giving you feedback all the time by mirroring so you can really learn a lot about yourself and how you're perceived by other people and what sort of energy you have through the horses they're very scary creatures because they're big mm. and mm. they can be quite pushy and so when people are working with a horse they often feel out of their comfort zone and that's where the learning really begins. So there's lots of good reasons why horses 
um, can be used in this way to teach leadership. And <clears throat> personally, I really love my time with the horses. Um, I love being on my own with the horses. I, I think I'm a kindred spirit to you. You're mm. out there with the moon and the stars and I'm out there in the countryside on my own with the horse. Yeah, yeah. Feeling that connection. And when you get that connection between the horse and myself, it's like seeing the northern lights. Mm. It's a beautiful thing of lightness and softness and opens your heart. So that's how I feel emotionally towards horses. And, um, and I really enjoy being able to share that experience with others mm-hmm. and to help them um, confront perhaps some issues or some problems that they've been experiencing maybe uh, in their workplace or in their personal life. Mm. And we can work through it with the horses. Mm. So the whole horse whispering thing. Yeah. There was the film, wasn't it? There Horse was, Whisperer. Which was a great film. Which kind of exploded the idea of yeah. this idea of yeah. um, communication, mm. a, a really deep communication with an animal we only would probably historically seen as a, a thing that would drag something or take something or pull us mm. somewhere, um, or like you say, on a cowboy movie. Mm. But this was different, right? And kind of, did you see a whole kind of literacy change in the populace around horses around that time? Um, or was it. For you, it was probably already there, right? Yeah, for me, it was there. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I think it definitely brought the relationship into people's forefront. Mm. Um, and perhaps our relationship with animals in general. Maybe okay. it made us a bit more open to the fact that um, we're not the only ones on this planet. We share this mm. planet with living creatures mm. and perhaps we need to treat them slightly differently. To bring out the best in them, mm. I don't know. There's a whole, there's a lot a lot one can think about it. You know how we treat animals and yeah. Um, there's no such thing as horse whispering though. You okay, don't go and whisper right. in their ear. No, all right. I know it's not literal. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but it's about, the body language. It's yeah. about reading and understanding, isn't it? Sure. And yeah. I think when you start reading and understanding horses or dogs or animals, perhaps that makes you more aware of our fellow humans as well mm-hmm. and more sensitive to you know what their bodies are saying because research has shown that over 90% of our human communication is nonverbal mm-hmm. and yet you know how many times do we get feedback on the messages that we're putting out there yeah and sometimes it could be you know as little as unfolding your arms to open your body language mm-hmm. your shoulders back a smile just to make people feel more comfortable around you. Mm. Mm. And I would imagine with horses then, it's more instinctual, they would take the cues more instinctually rather than having a deconstruction modality in our brains where we go, ooh, that person is facing me, therefore there's a yes, percent exactly. chance that... Yes, exactly, that's they, interesting. But a horse would just... Yeah. It would be, it is what it is. Yes, it is what it them. is. And they're very blunt with their feedback as well. Okay. So they are probably exactly how you described like that body language, don't like that body language, not sure. And then they give you this immediate and honest feedback and you can't suck up to them and buy them a coffee or yeah, right. crack a joke and try to be the funny one. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, um, you, you know, you have to take oh, yeah. it on the chin. You need courage to work with horses. Mm. It's not for the faint-hearted and there's nowhere to hide. Mm, it's quite um, revealing and can make you feel quite vulnerable. Mm. 
Have you ever ridden a horse? I well, I have actually. It's it's interesting because I first time I, my auntie had a farm. Well, she's still got a farm, and there's horses there, but I wasn't really interested in because there's. And I was only young, so I was only a lot smaller. So there's these big things, and I just keep away from those big things. Um, then we went on a school camp when I was you know, ten or so. Um, and we rode horses for the first time, and I just didn't like the back and forth rockiness of it all. And then all of a sudden, this horse come from behind, just bolting, oh, and what, no. there was a girl on it, and she's screaming her head off. And everyone, everyone of us freaking out, and there's people jumping off their horses. We don't want to just be on this anymore. So, oh, so since then, it's like, yeah, I don't like horses. But um, I went and did a, a work, workshop in Spain recent, well, last five years or so. Um, where part of the program was, you know, not only were we teaching astrophotography, but we also went and did other activities like horse riding. So I put my hand up and said, okay, um, I'm big enough now. I'll have another go at horse riding. And it was on uh, the island of Menorca, so it was beautiful coastal areas. Um, got on this horse and started riding it, and then just straight away I said, wow, what have I been missing for the whole my whole life? I just absolutely loved it. Um, and you know, and you feel that connection with your horse, even though I just met this horse. You do feel a certain connection with it. Um, and I've been back to Menorca again for the same workshop, and that was the first thing I put my hand up on that work on that horse ride. On a horse ride, so it's it's amazing how you know I was fearful of horses in a way, and just didn't want to know about it. But now I'm so much more interested in horses, and and really love the experience that I've had with them. And horses can match their heartbeat to yours too. So when mm-hmm. you talk about the connection, there probably was a real connection, a physical connection. Right. What do you mean they can match their heartbeat? Like they how? can match their heartbeat. They are so sensitive. They can pick up on your heartbeat and match the heartbeats. And, and humans can then match back too. So we're probably more animal than we think. I think sometimes we get stuck in our heads and think we're superior to mm-hmm. all other creatures, don't we? But actually, yeah. so much of us is just you know a bunch of chemicals yeah. interacting and, mm-hmm. and neurons doing its thing neurons doing their thing yeah. and that that's sort of going on but you know it's funny when you say that you you enjoyed the experience when i when i get on a horse that sort of rocking to side to side it makes me it puts me into a meditative state mm. actually did you find that when you were I riding? did yeah second second time round yeah. obviously yes i loved it and like we were down going down these little tracks and and you know quite steep and i'm going oh hell what's going on here but you sort of learn to balance with a horse yeah. and and you're moving in motion with a horse so you mm. you're all as one and um, trust yeah and trust exactly trust is huge yeah yeah and um when people meet their horses when they're going to work with the horses for two days to do leadership um, the first thing that we build up is trust mm. because we want to build up that relationship where the horse wants to work for us and the trust is key. Mm. The trust and respect are key. Without that, we'd be the old style, you know, horse breakers that chuck a saddle on and right, train the horse through fear. Yeah. Mm. Whereas we're trying to create this fantastic relationship based on trust. Mm. But based on that, would, would you ever get parents that just don't work for, like, humans right we don't work for certain reasons with other people have you had pairings which you oh pairings sorry pairings your sorry. accent my accent i'll talk about that later yes yeah uh, <laughs> pairings that don't work um well pairings that don't work are often the pairings that teach you the most I so i did have a pairing recently that didn't work okay and somebody the person was 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 very scared of horses mm. And the horse was slightly feisty. Yeah. And 
that was an interesting an interesting relationship to watch yeah yeah um how much intervention do you have to do on those experiences with people? Well, it, it varies, and yeah. we do do lots of coaching on the first date to give people the skills they need. Right. And then on the second day, we like to step back and then uh, introduce some obstacles and then say, go to it. Mm. You know what you know now. But obviously, we do we intervene and we we have to coach people through it and ask them, you know, why do you think it's not working and what do you think you could be doing differently? There's a lot of troubleshooting involved. Um, So, yeah, it is very interesting seeing the dynamic unfold and some pairings on the surface appear less successful than others. But actually, perhaps those uncomfortable pairings is when things really start, we really start to dig deep into what's going on and why. Mm Because I didn't realise the, the, I don't know how to describe this, but I, I sent that link to you, didn't I, about the, it was a, I came across this ION article, which is like a great source of inspiration online, great articles about the, the neural connection, neural, yeah, neural yeah, connection was, between yeah. horses and, and uh, humans. And they were describing the idea that we, we are a prey animal. We will seek out prey and hunt it down and stuff. And they're herds, as you've already mm. described. But there can be a, a common link with that uh, kind of dependency, I suppose. And it was just beautiful how it was described. It was. And that's why it was interesting when you said we can match our heart rates to the animals. Yeah. Seriously, it's, is that connected? Yeah, it is that Indeed. connected. And, and, that, and that was, the article was so interesting because it made out almost to me that the horse and human then became this new organic one. Yes, mm. it was very lyrical, I would. It was beautifully written. Was beautiful, Did you yeah. read the comments afterwards, though? At the bottom? Yeah. No, I didn't. Because I, was... I read some of the comments, and, and here I was feeling so uplifted and elevated Uh-oh. by this beautiful <laughs> imagery of horse and human becoming one, and then people were going, oh, no, it's just totally exploitative. And, nah. um, oh, right. Yeah, and I thought, oh, okay, that's an interesting viewpoint, though. You know, am I exploiting? Do we exploit? in our interactions with creatures, with mm. horses, with dogs, with cats. Um, but it's, it's good to think about that. Yeah. Mm. Well, what's the wild horse living version, right? How do horses live in the wild? They're pack animals, right? Yeah, herd, herd animals. Yeah, herd animals. Yeah. And um, in terms of then breaking them, as the language used to be, wouldn't it? Mm, it would be, and, and yeah. Get them to work for us, I suppose. Yeah, then if you extrapolate that out in discourse, yeah, we're, we're exploiting them. Mm. Yeah. However, what you're describing is not at all. That's a kind of a, um, um, a partnership, a collaboration. It is, yes. That's yeah. how I see it. A partnership, a collaboration, a beautiful right. relationship. I sometimes describe it when I'm working with the horse and the horse has no lead or head collar on and he's just responding to my energy. It feels like a dance, mm. a beautiful light waltz or whatever dance you like. Do you like dancing? Sometimes. Do you? A salsa. Uh, no, I can't do salsa. <laughs> but it's, it's a light and soft connection. Okay. And that's how it feels to me. Yep. A beautiful thing. Would you still ride uh, bareback? Do you still do that? When you used to ride your pony bareback? Do you yes, I, I do, but only at the walk. Right, that's I true. don't like falling off. Yeah. I've become more fearful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you tend to do I, that. Maybe it's something that when you have children, you become more fearful. Of course, yeah, risk averse. Yeah, more risk averse. I used to be totally fearless, and now I have fears, and now I do sort of you know visualization. What if, what if that horse shies and I slither off? 
<laughs> so, yes, a walk is fine for me, but I, I normally have a saddle and bridle on. Right. Your place up in Capity Coast, mm. tell us a little bit about that, how much, you know, what, what, what does it look like? I haven't visited yet. Oh, it's I? lovely. So, it's um, a far cry yeah, from yeah. the Terrace House in Sheffield in South Yorkshire, where oh, I used nice. to live. Yeah, yeah, where I worked for the BBC in, in Sheffield. And um, so, yeah, it's like, literally, you could not find two extremes further away yeah. from each other. So, yeah. it... When I bought it in 2004, it was a very run-down, um, you know, basic farm with loads of rubbish all over it and the fencing falling down. And, um, and so over that time, I've transformed it into a venue. Mm. And so we run lots of weddings there. And the stables have now been converted into the dining room. Right. And, um, and it's really spectacular. And it's on a ridge so it's quite elevated, and you can often see the hawks just gliding. Actually, oh, you've got to come and do some photography there. Yeah, I, think it's I, I was thinking that when I was looking up. Yeah, how dark it is there. It is. It's yeah. lovely, yeah. and it still feels very rural, even mm-hmm. though we're only sort of what forty minutes out of Wellington. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not today because of the traffic. But um, yep. yeah, it's lovely. And so, when I'm not working with horses and doing leadership, I'm working with a lot of wedding couples and corporates Mm -hmm. and they come out and I feel like you know this is a culmination of all my skills over the last sort of 30 years uh you know managing wedding couples and people often say do you get bridezillas (laughs) and um and I say yes I do and sometimes mother mother of the bridezillas and sometimes fatherzillas Mm -hmm. turn up too so it's um you know those sort of skills in communication and 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 leading and Managing expectations are very important mm. when, when dealing with, you know, such sort of um, emotive events such as weddings. Mm. But we I do have a beautiful it. setting, and I like to think that I can make everybody feel welcome, manage expectations, be slightly bossy, <laughs> but also warm and fun. But the storytelling aspect, I, I can imagine from your BBC days of working well there and telling that story, but also managing other people's stories as well within it yes well it's all about the story isn't it and when I was working I was the producer for Barnsley back in the old day working for the BBC and it was funny because I was sort of doing everything you know by the book I suppose trying to break stories about what the local council was doing and (laughs) all this kind of quite boring stuff Mm. and then this other guy who used to have the job wanted to come back and and he wanted the job back kind of thing and he only told stories about people, which I thought was very not BBC. Right. And guess who got the job? Oh, no. He did. <laughs> he, did. Huh. he was much more interesting than me. So I would tell all the worthy, boring stories yeah. that actually no one really cared about <laughs> at all. And he would tell the story about the family of 10 who were living in a one-bedroom terrace mm. house. And obviously, that's what people wanted to hear about. Mm. So that was a very good lesson for me, is that it's actually all about the people. Well, people are interested in people, I think, until it goes into the fantastical. (laughs) I really believe that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like your photography is fantastic, right? It's it's something other than Mm. what we know. Um, That's why soap operas are still one of the most popular things. We're interested in other relationships with other people, right? And social media. And social media, definitely. This is what struck me when you were talking about taking photos of the night skies and you were talking in terms of storytelling, and I was intrigued as to what stories can be told through taking a photo of stars and grounding it with a hill or a mm-hmm. mountain or a person. Well, it's not as though the story is right there in front of you. you. 
everyone sort of conveys it in a different sense. It's you know not the same person thinks. Some people look at the photo and say, "Well, it's a great photo," and that's it. But you know, I can see my own personal story of what I was trying to convey in the photo. But and someone might see something else. And a good example of that was that moonrise video I did. Mm. You know, I saw the story. I wanted to capture. I just wanted to capture a cool moonrise behind Mount Victoria. Um, look out with all these little people in front of the moon but other people had all these stories that they wanted to tell me you know how you know for, for example this mother and daughter had a sort of a breakup and they hadn't spoken for like four years or so um, and the mother actually contacted and sent the moon video to the daughter and just as a you know, olive branch and the daughter responded and said that's beautiful and said we'll come over and we'll watch it and it just Aww. yeah Wow. Things like that, and it's like special, wow, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, and there, there's a lot of yeah. That's there's a lot cool. of happy. Yeah, there's oh, oh my god, there's more. There's <laughs> a lot more stories than that. Yeah, um, but then there's all these happy stories. You know, it's like I haven't been out of the city for you know five years, and then I'm driven out and had the best time of my life out in the country, watching the stars and the moonrise. And you know, there's just so many different stories with that. Um, and with, with my art, with my photography, I let people make up their own story. Mm. So you're providing a blank canvas for them to hang their stories on, really? Yes, yeah. yes really. Oh, and, and it's based around their personal experience and, mm. and how they perceive the view in front of them. Whereas I have my own story. I, I see the composition. I, I see the story I want to tell, but it doesn't sort of get across to people like that in a lot of instances. Yeah. Do you know this? I was listening to national radio on the way down, and they were interviewing a piano player. Okay. I think there's a better word for piano player. Pianist. He, pianist. Concert pianist. Now we're getting there. Let's you know, let's drill down into this. And he was talking about this Bach piece that he had played so many times and never tired of. Mm. And he said it's full of stories. Mm. And I really wanted the presenter to say, "What stories?" Tell mm. me what stories you mm. hear when mm. you're playing mm. this piece. I hear a piece of music. I don't hear stories. Yeah. He's obviously up here and I'm down here when listening to music. But I really wanted to know, let me tap in to your brain for a, for a moment and hear what you hear. Mm. What stories did Bach put into that music that mm. I can't hear? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way when it comes to dance. You? As in modern dance. Oh. Because, like, I look at that, I have no way of deconstructing it. Yeah. I, ca- I can't get it. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate it. That's different because I know it's hard to flail around like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, take it, I take it you're not a, a dancer then, DK. Oh, you'd be surprised. But, <laughs> but that type of dance, I can't. I don't have the literacy, I suppose, for it, right? Yeah. And I suppose that's what it comes to. That pianist sitting down mm. has a different set of literacies that you and I probably would have, it's a different mm-hmm. set of experiences and mm-hmm. life experience, but also training and all that to imbue then or to extract from that piece of music. Mm-hmm. And also he's performing it. So he might play it in a different way one night and go, ooh, That's exactly what he said. He the said stress ev- point on that. Yeah, every time he plays it, there we go. something new reveals itself yeah. and he's mm-hmm. played it hundreds of times. That's mm-hmm. how complex this piece of music is. But I feel the same way when I when I used to do a lot of public speaking, like I never used to write a script or anything, but I know what to talk upon, and uh, I had a s- uh, similar deck, uh, presentation deck behind me doing the same thing in a sense, but how it fell out of my mouth was always different based on the audience. It was yeah. 
it was kind of interacting with yeah. in terms of their energetic movements at certain points. Oh, I need to drill down or not. I need to ham it up. So it felt like a, a performance in yeah. that way. Um, so maybe there was similar there. But this is exactly how I feel with the horses. Right. Okay. The energy. You, the horses right. respond to your energy. And if you're putting out really good positive energy, they're feeding off it. Mm. And that's, you know, it's a great learning for us because when you're back in the world of people, people are exactly the same. Yeah. They feed off positive energy. Mm. And it's amazing how powerful we are as individuals to change the energy in a room, mm. to change the culture of an organization totally agree, through yeah. our energy. Yeah. If we're positive mm. and put out that fantastic energy, people want to be around you. Yep. And they feed off that. Yeah. And that's the, interesting because what you just said is a case in point. Right. And that's why I can't stand Zoom. <laughs> that's <laughs> I why I love face-to-face because mm, yeah. what we're doing here is feeding off each other's energy. Mm. And it just wouldn't work for me on Zoom. I'm reading your body yeah. language. Exactly. I'm responding. Yeah. It's a dynamic living thing what we're creating here mm-hmm. today. So years ago, I wrote this very, very small book called Real, uh, sorry, called uh, Zen and the Heart of Social Media. John is running a couple of social media mm. agencies. And uh, the play on Zen and the Heart of, of Motorcycle Maintenance, yes, right? Which, which I, I read too. Which I read and... Didn't, uh, didn't really understand. Uh, it. Uh, but anyway, so I wrote, <laughs> read a book and it was all basically chapters based on these sayings that we used to throw out as a, a, a training agency. We used to go into organizations and train them up on social media. Back when it wasn't social, it was called new media, mm. right? 2006, yeah. 7, 8, 9, 10. And we did BBCs and stuff like that, and, and UNICEF and Ubisoft and go on. So. But it was wonderful because we used to say these things and we, we used to write them down and go, oh, that'd make a good saying or whatever. And then we'd write chapters, and then 33 chapters later, it was a book. But one of them was Real Life Has More Bandwidth. Mm. And it was the celebration of this is all great, this technology, jumping on MySpace, LiveJournal, Vox and Zanga back in those days, that was the, the new things. It's great, but it should, should augment what you're doing in real life. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. should be a complement. shouldn't be the only thing. Whereas nowadays, it's the only thing most people do, right? So real life has more fidelity, even though bringing in your grown-up work, wetter goes for realer than real mm-hmm. in terms of the fidelity of their visual effects, you still can't get this no, yet, no. the depth, the fidelity of everything going on. Mm. And I think that's probably because your brain is wired to be like that, mm. as in most of us are, and we're still trying to get there with the wetter stuff, right? Yeah, the CGI yeah, stuff, yeah. to make it realer than real. Mm-hmm. I think that's your strap line or something. <laughs> yeah, is it your strap no. line? <laughs> well, it's an unwritten strap line. It's right? a good I've strap line. It, We'd it, like you to adopt yeah, it. <laughs> I've heard it said a few times from the wetter people, it's trying yeah. to make it realer than real. Realer mm-hmm. than real. Which I really like, and uh, mm-hmm. it might be a different department. <laughs> Could be a different department. Maybe real is real enough, though. Do we need right, realer than yeah. real? Do real sometimes real feels, real. sometimes it's too real. Well, yeah. Well, you look at AI these days, you know, where we're going with AI. It's it's pretty freaky. I don't it's even it. want to go down that road. No, it, it's no. T- it is too freaky. Mm. What do you mean by freaky? Where well, you... the way the way that, you know, with the technology that's coming forth now, that interacting with a human that's not actually a human, you know, but right. has all the minuscule movements in, in the face that you can relate to as a human. So your so brain, micro, yeah, yeah, um, twitches. It's, it's like they have a they have a term for it, like in CG, uncanny valley. You know, when you when you look at the, the CG characters of the past and even today, you say, oh, that looks like uncanny valley because you're looking at it, it's like it's kind of a human, but it's not real. But now we're getting so good 
that we are getting those minuscule you know, movements into the facial features and, and the way it moves and, and speaks, you cannot tell the difference mm. in some cases. But these are robots, are they? No, no, it's virtual. Like oh, virtual it's virtual? Yeah. Okay, avatars, you know. sorry, avatars. avatars. Yeah, I yeah. don't do a lot of gaming and yes. that kind of thing. So. Well, it'll, it'll, it'll start turning up in, in information booths and, and all sorts of things, oh. you know. Um, at the airport, instead of checking in with a real person, you'll have do you, How avatar. does that make you feel? Um, I'm excited about it because of the technology, and, and it's like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, but, you know, to, to be face-to-face with it, it's like, well, yeah, we're missing something here, you know. Mm. Um, and at, at some point, it'll probably get more sophisticated and become you know, holographic and you know, give you three dimensions. But still, I, mm. I don't think it's ever going to replace a real human. And you know, that's, that's the same with actors. You do all this motion control of actors in the, in the movies and they become CG characters. But just because it's a CG character, you're never going to replace an actor. It's never going to do it. So what we're talking about here is that the whole... Yeah, the, yeah, the motion, the, yeah, exactly. The dots yeah. on. Dots on. I'm sure you've seen. Oh. Yeah. And then you capture, you the, capture the emotions and you translate it into the computer. Gotcha. And model. put a skin on it, essentially. Yep. yep. And their movements look real mm-hmm. because it's them. Yep. But it's a digital this, avatar doing it. Give me an example of what film I might have seen where... Some that happened that process. Uh, there is <laughs> which one? <laughs> okay, so many, just right? one. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> There's so many. Well, you know, Avatar is a, is a good example. Avatar. As, as okay, in, in, I did see Avatar. Yeah. yeah. But there are what we call digi doubles in in many films that you will not know necessarily know that the digi doubles. Like I can pick out a digi double a lot easier than anyone like else. Like a stuntman. Yeah, like a stunt. Exactly. Yeah. Like a stuntman, but it, but they don't exist. Yeah, they don't exist. Okay. Yeah. So, what film would that? Is that like every film? Pretty much every really? film. Really? Yeah, most, most, like, when there's a budget, most films can do mm. it these days. But Avatar is the perfect one because obviously they, they don't look real because they're not humans. Mm. They're made to be, obviously, looking like the aliens that they're proposing to be. But also because the whole story behind that makes them avatars and makes mm-hmm. them driven by the humans and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. which is cool. But yeah, you can also see the facial expressions, how... Avatar pushed the boundaries, as I understood it. Yeah, yeah, and facial yeah, exactly. And, facial. and you can reckon if you look at them, you can recognise the actors behind them as well. You know, with, yeah. with their facial. How long ago was Avatar? Two thousand and nine. So have things come an awfully long way since then? It has, yes. Um, as in, you know, the way that motion is captured, and and um, you know, the the detail we can get out of the mm. the capture and things like that. Um, I still think it has a long way to go, but it's it's the hardest thing to do, you know, to recreate a human, and it's in in a digital form. It's like it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's pretty much like the Zoom call, almost. You mm. know, you, you you don't read the body language, mm. you know, across across the call. Maybe there's something else then. There could be something that, else. You know, we can't capture because we're not quite sure what it is. Some mm. essence mm. of humanness or you know, being, being aliveness that yeah. we can't quite translate yet because we don't know what it is. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think we'll ever, you know, in, in, in a way you can replace an actor, but I don't think you'll ever replace an actor. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. There yeah. will still be a little place for us human beings mm-hmm. when AIs take over and rule the world. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Then we'll have to get into accents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Accents. <laughs> Would you think there'll be any sort of Welsh AIs? No. 
No. Won't be able, be able to understand no, no, exactly. That'll <laughs> be the problem. Do you think there'll be lots of sort of posh Southern England, London AIs? Yes. Yes. It'll be BBC English, darling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'll all be Queen's like English. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. I might still have You'll a job You'll be all right. Then. This is all you right. You can voice over them. You, you sadly won't, DK. No, I'm sorry. No, we won't I could bring the you. common man into it. The working classes, oh, right? from bring the valleys, them. yeah. What's interesting, we don't get a lot of discussion around that idea here in New Zealand, the working classes, mm. the common man and stuff. It. I've never noticed it anyway in terms of language, mm. whereas obviously where we're from, and I'm not too sure about Australia. Australia somewhat, yeah. Australia right. somewhat, yeah. Well, of course, mm. yeah, it would have trans, uh, transplanted a lot of the mm. class system. Yep. Uh, because of populated yep. by British. Yeah, British and the convicts and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... so what, what, what was Kath and Kim then? What <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. What were they then? Were they sort of lower middle uh, or upper low? No, I'd, I'd say lower middle. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. And then the doppelganger, Kath and Kim, who worked in the department store, they would be mm, upper middle. Yes. Yes, okay. The point I was going to make was that we... I get that it's the second I touch down in, in uh, the UK. Or if I'm travelling and I meet an, another person How do you uh, from get the it? UK. I get the, the subtlety of class system. In what sense? And it might be my chip. Possibly. So I might be bringing that to it, you know, because I'm meeting a very well-spoken Yes, and uh, does it English make person. you feel inadequate? No. Do all I make do, you feel inadequate? Do, no, sorry. I'm not trying hard enough then. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I just recognise it as, a, as an inbuilt thing that I had to experience mm. for like 35 years, you know, so especially... I, I, I would like to know how this presents itself to you. It doesn't now, that's the whole but point. But when you but used to go back... Yeah, I just noticed it, especially feel? when I used to travel a lot across Europe and North America and I bump into, um, especially a, another Celt straight away, there'll be a commonality, you know, an Irish person or a Scottish person, they'll be straight away, <gasps> you're a Celt, brilliant, let's yeah. just get on. Northern English, fun, yeah. right? Because they're northern and working class, and you know that living in Sheffield, yeah, yeah. the kind of the 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 quick to humour, mm, down to earth, yeah, deprivating kind mm. of humour. Uh, but then the southern English, they, there's this idea of class still built into mm. them, and I'm not. I'm doing a, the whole kind of swathe of population disservice there. You need a disclaimer, don't we, before yeah, we proceed course, with yeah. this conversation? However, <laughs> when I travel and I meet like certain types of English people, straight away they'll revert to, hey, sheep shagger. Straight away they'll that's be... That's so uh, rude. Do they really call you that? Still, yeah. So, wow. Not so much lately because I haven't travelled as much, right? But I find that fascinating that they will straight away revert to type. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, oh, I wonder if I'm reverting to type then. What type would you be then? I don't know, but very quickly I kind of just go, oh, it's okay, I won't affect your sexuality. It's fine. <laughs> we don't have to have this no, no. But But because, you know, we do want to go beyond that. I yeah. want to know you as an individual. Mm. But um, it's funny the class system, though, is still inbuilt into me because where I was born, grew up in the valleys of South Wales, and then I went to college in Lancashire. And I had that whole experience of northern people, but also a lot of southern people. And it was a difference. Mm. Uh, it was a difference, wasn't there? Because I went to, in the 90s, right? to university in Sheffield and I right. felt like a freak. Mm. Seriously, here I am, po really posh. Plums in your mouth. Plums in my mouth. I've got a German <laughs> mother, so I over-accentuate everything. And um, <laughs> totally middle class with very little life experience. Going up to Sheffield you know, square peg, round hole, very, very challenging mm. indeed. Um, so I completely understand. Yeah, you have the, we have similar but different. Yeah. And the, I suppose the point is now at my age, 
you kind of look back on it and go, oh, that's interesting. That was a product of my environment. Mm. And I can decide whether to take that with me or not. And I have put it down now, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just from the valleys of South mm. Wales. I live here, though, right? Mm. And I can connect to it very deeply, but also I don't want to drag it with me. Yeah, It's just another story. And it's interesting, when I go home and meet people in Britain, and I don't know if it's the same here in New Zealand, but when you meet someone new, like, the first thing they say is, what do you do? And they're thinking, how much does she earn? Yeah. And where do you live? Yeah, yeah where are you from? <laughs> now, I'm, now I can judge you and put you into your bracket, and then <laughs> I will decide if I want to be friends with you. So, you know, if somebody posh says to me, oh, where do you live? Then I try to sound even posher. <laughs> oh, well, I'm from North London. But if somebody from Yorkshire said, where do you live? And I, oh, d- you know, down south somewhere. You, you probably change your response depending on who is asking. Yeah. Is it the same in, did you find that growing up in Australia? Yeah, yeah, a little bit the same. You, you, you do adapt to, you know, the, the people yeah. you're surrounded by. Um, and then coming here in New Zealand, what was your experience in bringing you as an Australian in New Zealand? It, like it, well, it was, I was always heard about the New Zealanders and the Australians and the first question I got asked when I started work at Weta was, you know, what rugby team do you, do you follow, you know? Mm, it's like, um, I don't think I've ever been to a rugby game. <laughs> oh, come on, you, you have, yeah, you have me on. I said, no, actually, I don't think I have, which I, I had because I used to play rugby at school, but actually going to a rugby game and, and yeah, watch, different. I'd never yeah. done that, yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, this is this is interesting, and mm. and at that point, it wasn't too many years in when Australia, New Zealand, lost the World Cup to Australia, and I was walking down the street at the time, and my my mate, who was a New Zealand, he said, "Don't say a word." <laughs> wow. So he's basically rioting in the street, yeah. you know, say, and it's like you know, say, "G'day, mate, what's going on here?" <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Did you Brilliant. did you yeah. find there was much animosity towards you because Kiwis are always bagging Aussies? Yeah, aren't they? yeah. I, I think it'll become you know it's more of a joke. You, you don't mm. yeah. And, and working in an environment where it's so sort of international, you know, had a lot of Americans, a lot of people from the UK and, and all over the world. Um, it was interesting. It was it was, yeah. it was a mix of cultures and you know and everyone sort of understood everyone else. Um, we used to get a lot of new arrivals and. It, you know, it took a little bit to sort of understand, you know, what they're coming from with their culture and then the way you dealt with them. Um, but you, you look at, you know, the work environment now and it's just one big melting pot, which is mm. quite unique. And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of Americans that are New Zealanders now and, and you know, it's, it's, it's a really great place. Um, so your role there as a, um, I wrote it down, visual effects supervisor, mm-hmm. Does that mean you manage projects and within that teams, or do you manage teams that then have projects? How does that work? Yeah, so, so basically my role is to bring the director's um, vision to life within, you know, artistically and storytelling-wise. So I deal with the clients as well and as well as my team. So mm. you know, You're I, the translator. Yeah, I have to, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly, yeah, so I present the work and, you know, and the client will... You know, give us feedback, and then I just need to make sure that our team is giving him what he wants. Are some directors easier to read than others, or easier uh, to understand? Yes, definitely. Really? Yeah. Yep. Who do you like working with? Uh, 
<laughs> Shit myself in the foot here. <laughs> all of them. All yes. of them. All of them. Next. No, actually, no, they're all they're all good in their own individual way. Um, you know, That's really, diplomatic. Yeah. Yes, so, yes. There's a lot of there are there are frustrating components about some of them. Um, Do they I, communicate differently? I would imagine yeah, some, some people are like more yeah, visual. Yeah, yep. Definitely a lot more. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, there's a lot more. That's my brief. Mm-hmm. I just want that, please. Yeah. Right. Yep, exactly. There's some some people that know what exactly what they want, and you deliver that right. and they'll be happy there's others that kind of expect you to be a little creative and show them something interpretive that, yeah, yes that they may want that um, sounds exciting for you though because then you have more autonomy yeah and you can be creative even though you can actually get it wrong too yes exactly mm. yeah yeah but you usually find the ones that who know what they want the project sort of goes a little smoother because it's like that's where we're going that's what i want so uh, we deliver the, yeah, uh, yeah. concrete vision. Yeah, concrete vision. Idea of success at the end mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. How long would, uh, I guess this is a, one of those, but in terms of projects you've worked on, and again, like some of my favourite films, I, Robot, Avatar, Alita, Battle Angel, mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing, uh, Planet of the Apes and stuff like that. These are very specific stories with timelines, I would imagine, very strict mm-hmm. and stuff. What happens in between all these films I'm fascinated about? Like, how do you keep your hand in and things? Uh, you roll on to the next yeah, one, you basically. Just, yeah. You don't, you just like, Yeah, next. yeah, and it, it was at one point that, you know, it was a, so basically we did one project a year and then it started to evolve, well, hey, there's these other projects in now and now it's like there's a ton of projects in, so you sort of... So you have a portfolio now? Or yeah. do you have like just one still? No, no, there's, yeah, on. there's, there's lots. Yeah, there's lots in there. Right, yeah. Did you do, you didn't, I mean, do you do mostly sci-fi films or is it Everything. all sorts of, like yeah. Dune, would you have done Dune? Or oh, yeah, would have. That that was an amazing film, by the way. Uh, by mm. the way, I saw it and that's why I mentioned it, because I wanted to talk about Dune, because mm. it was literally the best film I've seen in years. Mm. And when the film ended, I just wanted to watch it again. Yeah. Were you involved in that film? Not at all. <laughs> I wish what, I was. What did you think of the special effects? The, vis- and the, the, visual, effect, the visual effects and cinema photography was amazing. It was, it was next incredible. level, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah. yeah it was, I've it was, never seen anything like yeah, it. Have it you seen amazing. it? Mm. What did you think? Beautiful. It was kind beautiful, of, wasn't the it? The vistas that they created. Yeah, and, yeah the depth as well. Yeah. Of the, yeah, the, the depth world and the scale. Was, and, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, and that's usually the hardest thing to do is you know make something look believable with scale and depth. Right, yeah, yeah. And they just nailed it. It's just mm. so good, yeah. Kind of Blade Runner-esque in that regard. Mm. It yes. was, yeah. You know, because yeah. the depth in there, even the original Blade Runner and the latest one as well, the, the concrete jungles and everything else. Mm. Like, yeah, the, the moonscapes and stuff is just brilliant. And I remember the old Dune with Sting in. I remember watching that mm. years ago yeah. and being like, oh, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah. So this, to hold it all together in a story as well was really well done. Mm. It was amazing. It was quite complex mm. and... It's quite political, and yeah, it's great. And we're back to moons again, aren't we? We always seem to come yeah. back to moons. That must be your influence over the conversation. Yeah, moons know. in films. Yep, moons in films. Yeah. What Horses. do you think the power of the moon is? Well, it's tides. <laughs> obviously. Tides. So they, the moon has an energy, then perhaps. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's basically gravity. <laughs> so the moon goes around, has an influence on the earth. Does it influence us too? Some We're people, well, that's, that's the big question, right? A lot of people believe that it does. I don't know. I don't know if it does or not, but, you know, I can see, physically see what it does influence as far as the tides every day. Um, but as far as anything else, spiritually or you know, physically, I'm not sure. Well, we're made up majority of water, right? Fluid and yeah. stuff. So if that's, that, yeah. 
you know, kind yeah, of controlling know, exactly. you. Know, maybe like being exactly right. Well, are we eighty percent water? Something like that, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. So do we feel lighter then, or being pulled in mm -hmm. one direction at what, certain points? It, where's the moon at this point? You're our moon expert. <laughs> where's the moon? Is it waxing <laughs> or waning? <laughs> Nice. Or is it just, you know, I've got no idea, I don't watch the moon. I, uh, I have to look at my moon. I think it's waxing. I know it's coming up towards a uh, new moon. A new moon. Yeah. Mm. So does that mean, I'm sorry to put this in layman's terms, is it getting bigger? Or is it getting No, it's not smaller? getting bigger. It's, well, it's, is it? But can oh, we see more of it? basically more of it. No, yeah. see less of it. Oh, see less so of it. So new moon, you will not see it. Oh, right. Ray goes yeah. that way. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I thought it was the other Full way. moon, mm. you see more of it. Okay. Yeah. So when it gets towards a new moon that's where I get my camera and go out and take photos because the moonlight obviously oh, light pollutes the sky I see so you like it when the moon is small mm -hmm. or when we can see less of it yes yes Makes because sense. then you can see more of what's behind it yeah. Mm. yeah although you did something recently where you took the um it was a um what, what they call it when the sun goes in front of the moon uh, oh the eclipse. eclipse thank you <laughs> See, I'm missing my words. <laughs> I saw some, there was that going on, wasn't it? It was just yeah. going on by Mancock yeah. um, um, at the windmill. Yeah. That was that was yours? No, that wasn't mine. Um, oh, I, but I did do the. I did. I went to um, went to Chile and and did the eclipse views Whoa. back now. So that was pretty. What about the red moon? Didn't we had one of Blood those moon? recently? Blood moon. That's, that's it. I, I actually yeah. took a photo on my phone. Oh, did you know? And it was quite good. Yeah. It was not as good as yours, of course. But yeah, it's quite surreal, actually. It's yeah. like you know, it's when the shadow of the earth covers the moon mm -hmm. and the way that the light sort of refracts it makes it look red so it's it's quite quite amazing quite surreal seeing it in the sky like that do you sometimes feel like you could lose yourself in the stars when you're watching and it's just this huge emptiness opens up yeah yeah do you sometimes feel what do you feel like when you're lying there well, with your you, camera well you got to realize what you're looking at in the stars isn't like real time i know because it's what is it 270,000. I was watching. Two, 260,000. 260,000. So, so the center of our Milky Way, um, which we can't actually see um, because we're on the, one of the arms of it, um, is 260,000 light years away. So the camera, when the camera takes a photo, it's capturing light that has traveled for 260,000 years. So you're seeing it in the past. Yeah. Um, and that just... Which is Always, a concept that yeah, just, just messes yeah, with your brain, doesn't it? Messes with your brain, yeah. Because, okay, here's a question. What do you think might have happened in that interim? Exactly. You don't that know. That we're not seeing. Yeah. And we that will never, we'll never see know. Yeah. But isn't that some of the studies now where they're seeing some fluctuations and they're trying to figure out what is passing in front of the stars? Because every star is a galaxy, right? That's mm. the whole point. Mm. And mm. so if they see a fluctuation in any light, they know it's already happened. But they're trying to figure out what has happened, mm. not is happening. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's not happening <laughs> How now. How can it's they happened. figure out what has happened? Well, that's what they're trying because then is you get into all the sci-fi stuff. Then is it's just Dyson fear oh, and right. all this other stuff Dust or things to be done. But just people passing dark in front. Dark matter and yeah. Well, that's, that well, that's kind of yeah, thing. That's we, we going down that road? Uh, planets. You know, oh. so they're working out exo exoplanets when the a planet moves in front of a star. They can literally work out if it has water around it instead, by the gradient of light that it shifts from mm. the star. But again, that happened wow. like quarter of a million yeah. light years ago, you know, that that. So I don't know if the, it's still there. 
or it might have within that time have had primordial life by the time we get there will be us mm. you think about it if you had the opportunity to to go in one of those spaceships like the elon musk or oh, branson right, yeah. mm-hmm. what would you do it would you love to do it would you actually like to go into this world that you photographed for years it would freak the hell out of me would it? why would it freak you <laughs> out well because you you're going somewhere that you you're, you're going into your photo you're like no. alice in the you know, actually going through. Yeah, no, I, I think I would enjoy. I'd enjoy the view looking back down on Earth. Yeah, that'd be that. That would be the part. Like I think I'd be looking down rather than the other. Looking direction. out, yeah. really. Although yeah. I got, a, I got an image in my mind. You getting told off when you start taping up everything. Trying <laughs> yeah. not get the glare back. Blankets out. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But no, it would be like that Earth view, wouldn't it, mm. from the moon? I'd love to that, see that. That image that they took. Oh, yeah. the first mm. ever time they had. Yeah. Thing, yeah, uh, all the all the ones um, from one of the, the probes that flying past Saturn, looking back towards this little pale dot, which is mm. prickhead, and it's like everyone you know is in that little pale dot. And that's you know, but that's how you feel anyway, isn't it? When you look at the stars, yeah. you feel like the little insignificant nothing yeah. on the face of the planet, mm. and it has, just puts it into perspective. Yeah, it also connects all of us. That's mm. the weird oxymoron of it, right? Yes. It makes you like a mote of dust, but and everybody is having that shared experience. And liberates, a very yeah, liberating experience, mm. as yeah. you said earlier. Yeah. Mm. Puts everything into context. Mm. It, it does, yeah. Makes your problems look small. It does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you doing, when's your next training course coming up, or is it going to be Well, this, year, this, year's a, this year's a funny year because it, I think I've essentially cancelled everything mm-hmm. um, simply because of, covid situation it's just hard to do um plus my work film work is just so busy this year and i just will not have a chance to get away um so i may do a weekend local course i don't know Mm -hmm. um um, but yeah definitely no traveling away and and doing a course um but next year could be different yeah and do people learn how to shoot the night sky is that the course yeah do they need a good camera or can they uh well these days an entry level camera will do the trick you know and like we don't want you turning up with just your phone (laughs) (laughs) i thought you said phones were okay well well, they're just getting there but it's like you you know you want you want it like a dlsr or a mirrorless camera and but the entry level cameras these days will will do the job do do you use film no oh they're all digital are they Mm, all digital does anyone use film? Um, I've seen some people try and use film for it. Is it too hard with film? It's, yeah, it's quite hard to capture what you want with film. Do you think film gives you a different um, experience when looking at photographs taken oh, on film? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. what way? In what way is it different? Um, well, I love film. It looks it's just beautiful. It's just you can just tell the difference between a film How? photo and what's and, the difference? Oh, just the grain and. and is it less perfect? Yeah, in a way, I guess it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, that's, why don't you shoot with film then? Uh, it's expensive to shoot with film these days, um, and the, the stuff that I shoot um, is hard to shoot with film. Well, the stop motion, right? And then yeah. you know, composites mm-hmm. as well. Some of the other mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. can't really. Yeah, but like if I was a purist, I would definitely have a film camera and, and yeah. shoot stuff with film. And I know people who do, and, and they take these photos, and they're just so simplistic compared to. You know, the complex photos that people take these days because there's so much processing involved. This is just a film photo captured, capturing the light on film. 
that's as simple as it is. Whereas with the astrophotography I do now, it's like you, know, you take a photo and it looks great on the back of your camera, but then you go a step further and you spend a day processing it in the computer to make it look even better. You use filters and that kind of thing. Well, it's not really filters, but there's there's specific ways. I'm of a processing. layman. Talk in yes. my language. <laughs> yes, there is. It's not. Well, people would say, "Oh, it's photoshopped." Um, oh, okay. In a way, it is photoshopped. Yeah. Um, you, you're using the raw data to push your photos to the direction you want to push it to. Um, I say I push my my data to the way I perceive the photo at the time I was taking it. Again, back to the storytelling. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's uh, your goal? in your photography? Do you have a goal? I don't have a goal, really. No. Well, I do. I, I, I like to challenge myself and do different things. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm doing this underwater, overwater thing at the moment, um, which it just drives you crazy. It's because it's just, you know, the, the success rate is like 1%, you know, to capture you- it. In the water, filming out through the water into the sky. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't actually go underwater. I, I sit it up under a tripod and lower it into the water. And yeah, and there's all these cables going from the underwater housing and controlling it. And, and what? How does that work? What does that give your your storytelling that you can't get? Well, that's well, that's the that's the thing. Like, I'm trying to capture you know the the simple underwater and the minute like creatures in the in the rock pool uh, versus the the landscape and then in the star the scale so but it, i would imagine it's really difficult to figure out the different light needs for ex- that. yeah exactly because because I, I, I do i do yeah yeah when you bring it out and then the sky as well yep yeah so i do have to light underwater put lights oh, underwater right okay you do light yep Fascinating. do you do it at night yes Otherwise, you wouldn't get any stars. That's right. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have. <Just> well, <laughs> I experimented originally by doing it a day. I, I thought, you know, I wonder if I could capture a time lapse underwater and see what actually happens. And I put a GoPro in on a, like a motion control rig and and did that. And I was like, wow, this is crazy because you see all all the sea critters critters running around like these things that just go so slow. Normally, it's like, you know, it's a highway down there. Um, <laughs> And, and, and I was like, okay, next thing I want to do is at night. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you just try and always try and push yourself you know, and, and do things like that. And, and now I'm also thinking of ways of um, you know, integrating the stuff I shoot with visual effects like, and tell stories that way that as well. That would be cool. Whoa, yeah. okay. What sort of visual effects do you Oh, think? you know, like I, I'm thinking like, um, you know, for example, Alien Worlds or something like that. So you, you're using... You're shooting the landscape and, and sky and earth, but you may add an element of some alien plant life growing or, you know, things gotcha, like that. Yeah. yeah. I think you need to make a film. Yeah, films take time. <laughs> don't have time. Money, right? Don't and, you? Yeah. Oh. And a team. Yes. Yeah. The stuff you describe, I'm sure you could. But wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. yeah. To I, somehow turn your passion into your other passion. Yeah. I uh, yeah. wonder what your film would be about. I don't know. I have I have thought of ideas of, of films like yes. short films. Share. I do. I, no, I do have one at the moment. And I'm not going to share it because I think it'll be pretty cool. Oh, really? <laughs> I see. Like that is it. Watch yeah. this. Yeah. Trust us. We're no, not in no. the inner circle of trust. Later on, you'll think. No. No. <laughs> no, it's, it's like you say something. Oh, I've got this great idea, and then all of a sudden, someone's doing yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so when should we, you know, keep our eyes peeled in the oh, cinemas? I, I always for this? say oh, I'll get it done this year. But oh, great! So yeah. It never happens. Well, so I, I'd I'll like see. to ask you about 
your your leadership approach mm -hmm. because I'm interested in both your leadership's approaches, obviously with horses, but also with your teams. Mm -hmm. How do you approach being a good leader? Uh, I think my thing is I, I try and treat people with respect. I want want to be on their level. Like I don't want them to ever feel like I'm above them, kind okay. of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's the best way I find I get people to perform. Mm. You know, and that and and I think that's the thing I really miss about you know the whole COVID thing and people working remotely now, which goes back to the, the Zoom call and everything like that. I can't just go up to someone's office or desk and have a conversation next to them and say, "Hey, let's try this. Wouldn't this be cool?" And what do you think? You know, mm. whereas I'm on a like a Teams call now and, and trying to do the same thing, which is a lot harder to do. Okay. So um, it gets in the way. Of yeah, that. it gets in the way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, we we still get to do it. Uh -huh. um, it just it just makes it's just a little more challenging to do it that way. Um, but I, I, you know, I go on the principle that you know treat people equal. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. We're a collaboration here. You know, if you have ideas, please tell me. Even though I'm the supervisor, cool. you know, I I want to hear your ideas as well. Um, and do your best work. You know, you're not just turning out what I'm asking for. Um, you know, if you have any ideas or want to add to it, let me know. Try out. That's great. Yeah. So I think that's the way. That's the way I do it. Mm. How are you? Uh, I don't know how much you can say about anything, but the the recent purchase of Weta Digital uh, with yeah with, uh, with Unity hasn't hasn't affected me or us right. as, at all. It's just business as usual. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know any more than that, to be honest. Yeah. I, I'm just happy in my own little corner over here amongst the big machine. Stop pumping, yeah. okay? Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> His lips are sealed. It's, it's fascinating. Well, I'm, I'm interested because of the yeah. technology. I'm, I'm interested because of the... That's you know, what I'm thinking, exactly. like the, the fold-over. How's it going to affect technology? Well, they, their Unity is a, a totally different company to what we are, as far as that is concerned. Um, and they do some cool stuff in their realm. You know, as far as games and, and real-time things and real-time rendering, um, the the metaverse they're starting to go into as well. Um, so I, I don't know the specifics or anything. Yeah. This is just what I've you know, interested in and what I've seen on Twitter and following all that sort of world. You know, I can imagine the compound compounding of the 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 software and skills that mm -hmm. Weta has created over the last 20 odd years mm -hmm. compared with unity as well or compounded with unity uh, and then the amount of money that's flowing around in both those spaces is just going to accelerate the creative engine yeah. and, and i and i think that's i think that's the same with all companies now you know like yeah. okay. microsoft is acquiring yeah activision activision yeah. because they see that's where everything is going mm. and i'm sure apple's going to make a move Google's making a move. Yeah, so it's it's not just you know, here. It's no. everywhere. But it's fascinating the scale of the sale. It is. And it, well, it is. and just that little peninsula, the amount of talent that's there mm -hmm. that it sucks in and creates and spits out as well. Yeah, the content yeah. it spews is just incredible. Oh yeah, and now it's gonna be like probably times ten. Yeah, which is hard to even consider on what it currently is doing mm -hmm. and probably on your docket as well when you look at your wall and wall plan you're probably going oh wow we're going to be doing more of this wow mm -hmm. it's going to be incredible yeah I just I, you know from now I just go along on the ride <laughs> of course <laughs> hang on hang on <laughs> just hang on <laughs> and see where it takes you yeah see where it takes you in terms you. of your leadership how do you approach leaders, 
leadership and even how do you approach then uh, creating good leaders in what you do? Well, I am, you know, it's all about the relationship for me and modeling good leadership is really important. Um, I have to walk the talk. So I set standards and I stick to standards um, because people are looking to me to see how they should behave. Um, taking the time to build that relationship, which is very difficult on Zoom. Mm. Um, finding out more about the people I'm working, who, you know, working together with. And as far as helping other people develop their leadership skills, um, I teach them seven principles based on training a horse and these principles are building the relationship mm -hmm. your energy you know we talked about positive energy negative energy high or low so being aware of your energy your physical presence so lots of people are reading you so if you've got your arms crossed or you're looking defeated mm -hmm. you're sending out a million uh, words just like that mm -hmm. um, then being committed to a task you know, being resilient and determined, having very clear standards, communication. Am I, you know, we talked about people communicating in different ways, people understanding in different ways, have I been understood? Um, and giving good feedback, honest, brutal, I give horse style feedback. Some people <laughs> like shit sandwiches. <laughs> it all depends, everything goes back to the relationship. Who am I dealing with? Yeah. How can I adapt to bring out the best in that person? Mm. And so you've got to be attentive. You can't have the day off. You've got to be aware. You've got to keep reading. How can I do things differently? Is this the right style for that person? And um, we, I worked with the Super 15 rugby coaches and that was a huge lesson for them is that the athletes are all different yeah. and one style doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Start out with just getting to know people. Sounds yeah. simple, doesn't it? Yeah. But when we're busy, often that sort of thing sort of falls off because yeah. we get so focused on our goals. But it's a, that balance between warm skills and strong skills. Mm -hmm. The warmth is those relationship skills and the energy. And the strong is your goals and your commitment. And it's getting the right balance, I think. Mm. And the horse is within all that, though. Yeah. Is it like an amplifier then? Of it is a some... complete amplifier right. that you just can't ignore. And it fast-tracks everything because you're actually doing leadership, you're feeling leadership. Mm. And if it's not working, you're changing it until it does work. And that's when the penny drops and you get those huge breakthrough moments because you think, aha, that's how leadership feels. When I stick to my standards, when I give immediate and honest and you know good feedback and not give feedback because I'm not sure what else to do and it's too hard to do the alternative, which is to push back and say, actually, no, these are my standards. Um, and the horses are intimidating, you know, and I video it all. So uh, that's amplified again yeah. because they're then watching themselves on video. What sort of first impression do I make? How do I impact on other people? Well, you can see it all on the video. Mm. You know, I can see why perhaps people are not following me. Perhaps it's the way I carry myself. Perhaps mm. it's because I'm so low energy. Perhaps it's because I keep letting everything slide and people have lost trust in me. There's so many different reasons that suddenly become super obvious. And what's even better, you can go back down to the arena, have another go, change it up 
and then watch yourself and go, aha, now I'm looking like a leader. Mm. I'm looking like a, you know, somebody people would love to hang around with, would love to follow, mm. and a safe space for people to do their best work in. So you've got different programs, right, for different types of outcomes? Um, yes, we have oh. a women's program, right. which I did an amazing women's program last week, where we also incorporate imposter syndrome and people-pleasing syndrome, which... Um, you know, a lot of women do do struggle with mm. imposter syndrome. Oh, yes. And a lot, actually, it's not just a women's problem. It's, you know, mm. throughout our industry, uh, throughout working lives, people often struggle with imposter mm. syndrome. But lots of women I know really do struggle. So this is great for them because we normally match them with a sort of fairly naughty, feisty horse. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> If you're too scared to say no or too scared to have that courageous conversation, you will eventually get to the stage where it becomes harder not to have that conversation. And right. that feels like a huge breakthrough. As one woman said last week, I found my inner strength. And it was a moment to behold when she suddenly stood up for herself and said, actually, enough is enough. Wow. And took that back to with the workplace. So, That's yeah, cool. it's really cool and wow. really, really exciting and seeing those transformations. And it affects people, not just their workplace, but their personal lives, mm. their whanau, everything. It, it even affects communities. So um, yeah, it's really, really exciting and good to see. So you have the women's program, then the mixed program, and I'm working with a lot of emerging Māori leaders, and I'm loving that. So I've been working with the emerging Māori for about eight years or so, and again, you know, have to take a slightly different approach, but there's so many different parallels with the, you know, the, the Maori cultural aspects and working with horses. So it's a fantastic fit. Yeah. I'm aware of time. Is it time I had chocolate? No. Oh, yes. <laughs> but it's also time I that I asked the question, um, what haven't we talked about? Heaps. Should we come back tomorrow? <laughs> we could. Come back tomorrow. We, could. <laughs> we totally could, couldn't we? Is there anything that uh, you have missed out asking each other? I, I like it, you know, the conversation has just flowed, flowed and, and evolved as well, yeah. which is which is always a great mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah, there's there's obviously more things I'm interested in now mm. that everyone's sort of telling this story. Um, I guess one thing I was going to ask you is about historical your your land and, and yeah. you know you do have a cottage there, which yes. you did relocate. I was, did relocate yeah. it. Yeah, was I, it, it was actually. Or? I wish it had a sexy story, but sadly, <laughs> it's a very unsexy story. It was a um, a pool house in the hut, right. the cottage, right? And it got relocated to the farm. Mm-hmm. Wow! <laughs> and well. it was plonked next to the stables, yeah. which was sort of the wrong place, really, because right. the stables is now the wedding venue. So I relocated it just a few paddocks down. So. It, wasn't hugely exciting, but now it is a very lovely retreat, the cottage. Wow. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. It is a pull out from the hut and, and <laughs> never will be anything else, but it's got yeah. character. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's but good. the stables, I love the stables because I think they've got lots of character. Mm. Eleven years ago, the horses were in the stables and I booted them out and turned it into a lovely wedding venue. But you can still see all the bite marks on the walls. Oh, wow. Which is really cool. <laughs> and I've got some of my old saddles on the wall as a sort of oh, art installation that's beautifully lit up at night. So mm. it reflects the history. Mm. 
and um, I think it's important to have that story. You know, yeah. we were talking about stories and and authenticity, or yeah. in the words of Ali G, keeping it real. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> just quote Ali G. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone wow. should quote Ali G once wow. in their lifetime. Do you know who Ali G is? I know who Ali G Excellent. is. Excellent. You're so done with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do try. Obviously, fail too because I'm probably 20 years late. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you Ali said exactly slightly with too much gusto. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I was thinking when I watched Ali G, it's like. Back in the 90s, 2000s. I, yeah. I still find him really funny, though. Probably not very PC now, though. Is no, he? no. Not, no. That's why it's funny. Yeah. Let's exactly. be honest. Rounding up with the last question, then. 2022, we're into it now. No escaping. What are your plans when you look back in December 2022? How will you know you've done well? Mm. Very good question. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> I will know I have done well. Um, I would really like to go back to the UK okay. for a holiday, so mm. that would be nice and see all my family. And um, I would like to just work with more fantastic people with the horses. That is my goal. That is my heart's desire. Love that. Thank you. I wasn't going to say I want to go. I, I do want to go back to Australia. That's that's one thing, and I didn't even think about that as a goal. Um, it's been three years now since okay. I've been back there so it's like mm. you know same with you guys I'm sure mm. um I've sort of given myself the goal this year I knew what I was going into as far as my work commitments with the film work this year so I'm sort of just going to just get in there and, and just do that mm. um and I guess some of the the short film ideas I had I'm going to sort of try and work on them in the background um but no promises <laughs> where they'll end up. Um, but I, I think, you know, by, by the end of the year, I hope to produce at least something along those lines. Exactly. That is yeah, very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's not really a, a goal-defining year for me. I, I really just want to sort of get in and, and, you know, improve myself, you know, as, you know, in my work and everything like mm. that. Um, and that's pretty much it. And, sounds and, like you've got a busy one planned. Yeah, 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 we do. <laughs> so that's, that's really exciting. What's your, what's your goal, DK? Like you, like to visit the, the fatherland, for sure. Get some valley time in me. I knew you were <laughs> going to say valley, because I was going to if you didn't. Excuse me? Valley. Oh, you were going to say if I yeah, didn't. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, well, I'm from the valleys, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I need so that. go home. Yeah. Or it's, it's home been... here. No. Mm. I don't know where home is, but I'm from there, so let's call that home. Mm. And there is something different about going back up in the valleys, and I was born further up the valleys from where I was brought up, so there's differences, and i am still got family in both. And, um, however, in terms of like work, um, I'm lucky I don't work for a living. I do something I like, so I kind of just get to bounce around and collaborate. And on that cool word, collaboration, I'd like to do more things with others, rather than just me creating stuff for myself. I'd like to be a part of a team again and, mm. and build things out to a greater goal, right? I don't know what that means, but I'm just open to the universe at the moment. So it'd be nice to look back and go, oh yeah, that was cool or is cool because I'm now working towards something bigger than just me. So I'd like to play with others again, wherever that means. Sounds like a fun goal. Yeah, thank you. I think we need lots of fun this year, don't we? Mm, Maybe yes. we should make it the year of fun. 2022, year of fun. we have fun. Year of fun. 
Here we go. It's a new Chinese horoscope character. <laughs> You're fun. <laughs> You're fun. Thank you, people. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you giving yeah. up your time. That's Thank good. you. Yeah, it's fun. Have you had some chocolate yet? I will do now. That was Creative Welly, episode 28. We do hope you enjoyed that. Big shout out to John O'Tucker, who produces the video podcast of this series over at Empire Films. And again, thank you to David Hamilton over at Flash Dog Studio, where we record our episodes. If you want to keep up to date, please subscribe via creativewelly.com. That's where you'll get all the latest information and updates around our episodes. Keep having courageous conversations with bold humans.